Would you like to be able to start conversations like a pro? Take The Sunday World, your daily dose of what's going on. Do not consume The Sunday World if you're involved in a drug cartel, you're a politician with something to hide, or you've appeared on a reality TV show and care about others' opinions. Consume The Sunday World responsibly. Always read the stories, gossip, and commentary. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. God was telling her that her father was an intruder, that there was somebody else in her father's body, and the only way to get rid of the fake was to stab him. She stabbed him, she dropped the knife, she ran outside, and one man stopped, and, you know, she said, I'm after killing my daddy. When the ambulance came, he was able to tell the doctor that she had been saying to him, you know, you're not my daddy, you're not my daddy. I'm Nicola Talent, and you're listening to Crime World, a podcast about criminals drugs and the sins of the underworld in Ireland and across the globe. They are the violent deaths that can leave shattered families struggling for answers afterwards. This month, two high-profile cases heard how insanity was used as a defence in separate shocking deaths. Julie Flood was found not guilty of her father's murder by reason of insanity, while Christina Anderson was convicted of of the manslaughter of Garrett Kelly by reason of diminished responsibility. But how does an Irish court assess insanity and what factors are taken into account when coming to a decision? I'm Niall Donald and you're listening to Crime World, a podcast from sundayworld.com. So we had two cases this week that that involved uh, the use of the term insanity. Um, you know, it's been a. It, it, if you look back on sort of Hollywood films or something, you always see this this where people are going to plead uh, plead insanity and and get away with murder. But of course, it's not really like that in real life. Um, people uh, people don't do that in Ireland. But we had two cases that maybe highlight, which is one of the really complex issues of law um, over the last week. One of them was the case of. Christina Anderson, who was ultimately convicted of um, convicted of manslaughter by reason of diminished uh, responsibility, and then we also had the case of Julie Flood, which you attended. Um, is it a sentencing hearing? Yeah, it was her sentencing hearing that I attended last week. So she plead not guilty by reason of insanity um, after she stabbed her dad to death in April of 2019. And you heard like in that case, I mean, it's particularly horrific. Um, Julie Flood is, I think, 51 years old now. Um, she's from Enniscorthy in County Wexford. Um, 
like a lot of these cases, you hear maybe similar things uh, in terms of the delusions that that people suffer. She obviously stabbed her father. I think he was in his nineties, was he? Yeah. So it was actually the morning of his ninety fourth birthday that had happened. Yeah. And what 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 did happen on that day? So that morning, um, Julie Flood had woken up and she'd had, you know, her father got, spoke to the, to the to the doctor before he actually passed away. But basically what happened was that morning she had had heard, you know, she had these delusionary auditory hallucinations where she believed that God was telling her that her father was an intruder, that there was somebody else in her father's body. And the only way to, you know, get rid of the, 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 the fake was to stab him. Um, so she stabbed him, she dropped the knife, she ran outside, she flagged down, she tried to flag down a couple of different drivers um, that morning and one man stopped and, you know, she said, I'm after killing my daddy. Yeah. Um, really, really tragic. You know, she went back to the house with him. Um, you know, obviously her father was in complete shock about what happened. Now, he before he passed away, when the ambulance came, he was able to tell the doctor that she had been saying to him, you know, you're not my daddy, you're not my daddy. So that, I suppose, was kind of a mitigation for her almost as well in the fact that when people do try and plead insanity, you know, there is this burden of proof and, and where it lies and... For her, I guess, the fact that it came from her father, that this was genuinely what had happened that was that day. Yeah, because, I mean, the law, you know, we when I first started working as a journalist, um, we had a lot of cases. I, rem- I remember a couple of them in particular where people would be found guilty of murder by reason of insanity. And what that meant was that they did have a murder conviction mm-hmm. um, that they couldn't be found not guilty. Now, ultimately, the, the outcome was quite similar in that when people are found guilty under those circumstances, they tend to be put into very specialist psychiatric facilities. And that doesn't change now, and it won't change in, in the case of Julie Flood. But the law changed in 2006, and instead what you had was people could be found not guilty by reason of insanity. So they don't carry a murder conviction. The state recognises that people can become so unwell that that they they aren't committing a murder when they kill, even though... The facts of this were never in dispute. She really, her father suffered a, fi- a violent death as a result of her actions. Nobody is disputing what she did, but they're disputing the motive about it. So the law, it, what does, how does one qualify for, for to be found uh, uh, not guilty by reason of insanity? I mean, there's a couple of... Tr- there's maybe three key features, I think, is there? Yeah, there's a couple of different key features that you have to... Pass. So I guess there's like this test that they do, and it's it's you know it's forensic psychologists, psychiatrists who do these tests. It's not the you know it's not lawyers. It's not no. it's people with medical and clinical experience. And of course, insanity is a clinical or sorry, it's a it's a legal term rather than a clinical one. So yeah. in this case, we had the forensic um, psychiatrist from the Central Mental Hospital who was there on that day, given his evidence of of um, this examination that he had done on um, Julie, but to qualify for that um, defence. The, the defendant must prove that they were suffering from a mental disorder that affected their judgment and that they did not know what they were doing at the time of the offence or that they knew what they were doing but couldn't control their actions. So this 
in particular is part of the the law that came in in 2006. And as part of this, you know, people can't claim insanity because they were on drugs or alcohol at the time of the offence because, you know, that's that's not diminished responsibility. But also it comes down to as well, when you get, the, if you're convicted not guilty by reason of insanity, you, you're guilty of, you know, manslaughter, say. Um, and the same goes for like when we seen in the case of Christina Anderson, she was going for the not guilty by reason of insanity. However, you know, whatever transpired, her legal team then advised that she was going to plead guilty, plead guilty to manslaughter by diminished responsibility. So there is that difference there as well. There is a difference. And I suppose it's, it's you know, the key, one of the key tests always is, could the person, did the person know what they were doing was wrong? Um, so it's not that everybody um, in in the case of 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 Julie Flood, but she diagnosed with with schizophrenia. Or? Yeah, she had been diagnosed with paranoid schizophrenia over the years. So there's many different types of schizophrenia. The one that she had was kind of was very characteristic characteristic of those kind of auditory um, hallucinations. Um, Which is voices, really. Vo- yeah, voices. yeah. It's not, it's not kind of, I suppose, a voice of... It's not an internal voice. It's what they describe as an external voice. So you're hearing uh, an auditory hallucination. Really what they mean is you're hearing somebody, and it's often religious overtones. Yeah, over, yeah. Like, funnily enough, in America, there was a lot of people with alien overtones, and, you know, it changes from culture to culture. But in Ireland... Over the years, it's nearly always been God or the devil. Yeah, or in this instance as well, she actually had an incident where she had had auditory hallucinations of a member of U2. It wasn't specified which one, yeah. you know, had accused her of um, raping their sister, which is, you know, she was in extreme distress because of this because, you know, she felt like, you know, I hadn't done this and it was an yeah. extremely distressing thing for her as well. So, I mean, the, the test would be not that you're mentally ill. I mean, if you look at people who come through the courts for violent crimes... I wouldn't know about a majority, but a huge proportion of them have been diagnosed with some degree of of, of psychiatric disorder. Mm. You know, you hear ADHD, you hear all these things all the time. That's not going to give you, that's not going to make you uh, judge to be insane. So you have to not know what you were doing was wrong. Um, and, you know, in this case, that clearly does apply that, that Julie Julie Flood was under such a, such a grip of delusion that she perceived that she was doing the right thing. Absolutely. And I mean, as well, like, in the other hand as well, when we compare it to the case of um, Christina Anderson, the the court accepted that, you know, not everyone with a mental illness is a a killer, as we know, and not everyone who is a killer has a mental illness. So there's that sort of thing as well. And with Christina Anderson, it was kind of shown that she had had, um, bipolar affective disorder. um, And it was kind of... Not that she was insane at the time of the murder, but her mental illness was a significant factor in why she did what she did. Yeah, so she, like, I mean, the, Christine Anderson was, was I like, I remember the story at the time. Um, there was a guy, I mean, I remember we reported it at the time. It appeared to be, it was a, certainly the initial reports were that, that uh, a, a guy called... Um, Gary Kelly, it was reported that there'd been an argument over a car park space out in County Dublin. I mean, it was it was um, back in February 2020. Now, it was a much... Gary Kelly had no involvement with the victim. He didn't know her. He didn't have any particular argument with it. So it was one of those murders that really caught the attention of the public because it just seemed so random. Mm. Um, but basically, Christine Anderson, who had been living in the local area... From from one perspective, came out and 
brutally stabbed this this guy to death. I mean, a man who'd, who'd live an absolutely blameless life and um, was a father, a devoted uh, husband, a devoted partner. His wife spoke really movingly in, in court about it. Um, but Christine Anderson um, certainly didn't look the part. Uh, she looked quite well-groomed, quite glamorous. Um, but it did appear during the evidence, we did hear how she suffered from uh, bipolar affective disorder, which is really kind of a combination of, of bipolar, which gives, uh, you know, mood swings between depressed state and uh, an elated state. Mm-hmm. And also in the, the affective disorder was would be to do with the paranoia, which certainly mimics some of the symptoms of schizophrenia. So she had very established delusions going on. And we did hear about them in, in the court, didn't we? Yeah, um, there was a lot of information that was kind of given in in this case. Um, she had had delusions that the her whole estate had been, you know, conspiring against her um, with, you know, in, in a criminal conspiracy with Bertie Ahern and Michael Jackson. And I mean, the, the Bertie Ahern thing. There seemed to have been a photo of Bertie Ahern, and so I don't, didn't really give in great detail of it. But that, you know, she got that in in relation to the, the local community. There was a picture of Bertie Ahern, and she. In her mind, that became some sort of conspiracy of the neighbours involving Bertie Hearn against her. Mm. And then Michael Jackson pops up, as you said, which is another thing like, um, you know, where where celebrities is also a feature, which is kind of like modern uh, religious figures. Yeah, in a sense. yeah, I suppose so. Um, what was, what was heard about Michael Jackson? Um, she just believed that he was going to come to her house um, yeah. alongside, you know, some, I think it was a solicitor or something like that. Um, there was no real, again, no real background about why, you know, why he was there or kind of what she had thought about him, but just that was the, the delusion. Um, you know, there was other delusions such as she had, you know, thought that her family were in danger Um you know, she she was really in in this heightened stress, and even afterwards, after the, you know the stabbing had happened, she just went back into her house and began feeding her her baby their breakfast. Yeah, I mean, it was very. Uh, there was some stuff I thought was really quite tragic in that her husband had had gone away and you know around the time of the murder, and he'd come back and he'd found she'd really deteriorated in her mental state, as is you know how he described it, and that she was having moments of insight that, that she wasn't okay. Yeah. Um, that he, you know, she'd go back into delusion and then she'd sort of come back in a bit, which can be symptomatic of possible bi- bipolar disorder, that she'd have normal periods mm-hmm. and she'd kind of realise she did need help. And he sought to get her help at one point and it just didn't happen for whatever reason. Absolutely. I mean, I think that the evening before her, you know, the incident, she had, the, you know, we'd contacted the, the hospital and asked, could he get her in um, that day on the Monday? And they said, look, we don't have to do psychiatric um, clinics on a Monday. You're going to have to come in tomorrow. I think her appointment was later on in the day. But they said, look, we'll take her in at nine o'clock. So first thing in the morning. But tragically, um, what unfolded was at 7 a.m. that morning. So, you know, there was there was this... yeah. Sliding door, sliding doors moment almost. And I mean, really, really, you know, really tragic. uh, You know, an extreme sort of an extreme level of violence used. I mean, you know, he was stabbed repeatedly and multiple times. Mm -hmm. So there was also evidence heard in court about, um, you know, how the use of cannabis um, that she was, and I think there was that that was in part so led to what was called a contested hearing in this case. So in, in, in the case of Julie Flood, 
what can happen in, 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 in these cases is that they can be either a contested hearing or a non-contested hearing. Mm-hmm. And now we heard, that obviously, the Deirdre Morley case um, where she uh, killed her, her three kids. Her father, Andrew McGinley, has spoken many times. Um, in that case, it, was, it wasn't a contested hearing. What you had was the state agreed and the, the, the prosecution agreed and the defense agreed on, on a verdict and so then you just you had a degree of evidence and and but you know there wasn't really because a mur- it's still a murder trial and there's still a jury there mm-hmm. um but if both sides agree it becomes something different um but in Christina Anderson's there was a degree of disagreement there wasn't disagreement that she was mentally unwell that mm-hmm. was accepted by both parts but there was a disagreement about her level of responsibility some of which was referenced in the cannabis smoking i mean that did become a, a feature of the case as well absolutely i mean it was said that the that herself and her husband had smoked cannabis regularly i think they'd spent um 250 euros a week or a month um on it which um i know is is quite the the jump it's it's he had been asked had they'd been smoking cannabis the evening before and he said he couldn't remember, but it was so normal to them that it was, it was you know, it was just on any other day. It was having a cup of tea in the evening. Did you yeah. do it or not? Um, and he said that it was most likely that they did. He just couldn't recall for sure. I mean, there was one... Um, toxicologist who said, you know, if she had her last cigarette that night before at 10 o'clock by 7 o'clock the next morning, yeah. you know, cannabis only lasts in your system for a certain amount of time, um, then, you know, it would have been gone out of her system at that point and, and it couldn't have been a factor in it. But again, there was also evidence that her intake of alcohol had um, significantly change. I think she said it went from like four, nine units a, a week to something, you know, a lot higher, like per day, it, it went up significantly. And she had, you know, when you're going through, you know, alcohol and cannabis obviously can combine or even in, in you know, in unusual circumstances, yeah. myself or yourself could, you know, it does, you know, change your, your, your mental state, yeah. uh, you know, even without having um, a mental illness on top of that. So it can't have been no, I mean, I think obviously there's plenty of people who who would smoke cannabis and never have any impact yeah. in terms of mental health. But obviously, people that are vulnerable to, particularly to to any level of of uh, psychosis or delusions, Absolutely. like it can be a very toxic thing. So initially, Christine Anderson, of course, she she pled not guilty by reason of insanity. I mean, she accepted the facts of the case, accepted what she did. The state didn't accept that. Some of these things are, you know, complicated for us in terms of, you know, we're not forensic psychiatrists to know mm. what what the difference is. But ultimately, a, a lesser sentence, um, uh, or a, she pled guilty to manslaughter by diminished responsibility. So what does that mean for her now? So it means for her, well, basically, when it comes to these cases and the, the jury has to decide whether it's not guilty by reason of insanity or, you know, manslaughter by diminished responsibility, they don't have an option of not guilty because the defendant um, has agreed that they have, you know, this act has happened. They agree that they were the person who, yeah, you know... accepting a cr- sort of a criminal responsibility for it. Yes, exactly. But I suppose the thing here is in terms of, you know... Manslaughter versus um, the not guilty by reason of insanity is where they're going to be treated. So for for Julie Floyd was remanded to the Central Mental Hospital. She'd be reviewed every six months, um, and then from there, you know, if they decide it comes to a point where you know she's not ill anymore, because obviously during that time she's going to be undergoing treatment to try and 
you know, rehabilitate her, but also to make sure that she doesn't reoffend again yeah. in the future. So, I mean, she's not, um, like, in theory, somebody like Julie Flood, she could come out almost straight away if the if the psychiatrists judge judge her to have become well because mm-hmm. she is an innocent person mm-hmm. who who became unwell and that's the only criteria on which they'll keep her either that she's a you know poses a risk to herself or to other people mm-hmm. um now in practice you know because of the nature of what happened it's very unlikely to for somebody to walk out really quickly out of these mm. out of these places um so people can remain in them for you know, for a really, really long time um, if they're not responding to treatment or mm-hmm. to medication, um, if they're not willing to take medication, you know, any number of things. I suppose Christine Anderson is different in that there there will be a, a, possibly not in where she's held. She may very well stay in the central mental hospital for the whole time, but there's a, there's a, a tariff will be placed on her. Yeah. And then there will also be uh, the same ta- the same facts that she she wouldn't be allowed out until she's until she's she's well enough. Yeah, um, and I suppose the difference here as well is that um Christine Anderson had been held in the Doka Centre for some time. Yeah. Which is obviously the women's prison at Main Joy. And whereas, you know, on the other hand, uh, Julie Flood wasn't because yeah. she wasn't it was that kind of legal um, you know, guilty by of manslaughter kind of thing rather than Yeah. I mean and 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 Gary Kelly's Father spoke, or sorry, his his partner spoke really movingly. I think. Do 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 you have some of what she said there? I mean, I think one of the things she said was, um, he, you know, she described his actually, sorry, his his mother as well spoke, um, and she described, you know, having to. They obviously attended the 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 hearings, and they had to watch the CCTV footage that was shown during the trial of her son's last moments. And her, his mother described, he, he smiled at a passerby, not remotely aware of what lay ahead for him, just going to work. And then she described seeing him stabbed to death. And she describes her thoughts of Nolene as his mother. She says, was he scared? Was he frightened? My son lay dying on that pathway between two cars struggling for his last breath. Why? And so no matter what the the verdict is, um, you know the family are left with that. They also, it it occurred during lockdown because I remember yeah. I do remember that, and you know there wasn't maybe the levels of crime were diminished, of course, during lockdown. And um, she described how they were unable to to grieve together. Yeah, that seemed to be a major part of it, and I suppose as well another thing that the family had said that I found very poignant was the fact that she said when. Gareth was being referred to as the deceased or the late Gareth that kind of brought it into a whole new perspective for them as well and they did say you know we didn't lose Gareth Christina Anderson took him she caused us all pain and our kids will never see their daddy again which is really heartbreaking I mean I think his youngest child was, wasn't even one at the time he died and they're going to grow up their whole life without any memories or knowing who he was or anything like that exactly and I mean it's it's you know it's so I mean it's you know we we you know, I always remember growing up and you see these films, people pretend to be insane in order to, 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 to get away with it. But, you know, I mean, that's, that's it, it doesn't happen. But we did have, of course, another really high-profile case in, in recent weeks uh, involving Stephen Silver. Mm-hmm. Um, 
do you want to just give us a bit of background on that? Yeah, so Stephen Silver was, uh, or is rather, um, he's currently, he's 46, he's a mechanic from County Mayo, and he pleaded not guilty to the murder of Detective Garda Horkin. Um, it was alleged that at the time, I think it was in, back in 2020 again, during lockdown, I remember those um, notifications coming in through various yeah. different news news outlets that morning on my phone, just kind of complete shock at kind of yeah. what was going on because yeah. you think everyone's stuck inside and there's these things, these horrible things are happening out on the street. Um, but yeah, he he shot, uh, he took the weapon from a Garda um, and shot him with a, with a service weapon. I mean, the, the whole thing there was as well, he did try and plead not guilty by a reason of insanity. Um, he was agreed by both the defence and the prosecution that he did as well. He did have uh, bipolar affective disorder and he had a long history of that, of being hospitalised both voluntarily and involuntary. But again, it came down to did that affect um, him on the day of the murder, or you know was was that the cause of it? Yeah, I mean there was there was obviously the, the like he'd been hospitalised over a very very long period of time, um, and you know he, he there was no disputing about the fact that he had he had had suffered from a psychiatric disorder, and that the, the, that disorder had had led to to some erratic behavior to say the least but but it wasn't shown i think or what the jury didn't accept at the very least was that he was incapable of knowing that his actions were wrong there was evidence given in court about a kind of hatred for the police we don't know why why the jury led to the decision that that they did lead to but that probably was a factor certainly that was highlighted by the defense that that you know that 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 bar wasn't reached or sorry by the prosecution they felt that 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 they made the case that he could have known what he was doing was wrong um Stephen Silver of course that was his second trial the first trial didn't reach a didn't come to an agreed verdict um but it just shows you that the the law is complicated um absolutely um and that Stephen Silver's of course his, his wife subsequently did an interview sort of saying that he had all, always been uh that he that she believed that he 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 hadn't known what he was doing but the jury heard really really detailed evidence um about his mental health at the time and um, he you know about his uh you know is his about maybe being a functional person in in their mind or at least maybe a diminished to a degree, but at least to, to to the extent that he seemed to know what he was doing. Certainly Julie the Julie Flood case seems really different. Um what what was the outcome then in 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 terms of her did it, you so you were at a hearing you were at a hearing obviously last week and it was it was was it a, a, a it was a final sentencing hearing, was it? Yeah, so what happened was basically two weeks prior there was a sentencing hearing and at this point she was remanded into the into the care of the Central Mental Hospital. Um at this point uh, you know, according with the law, they have 14 days to do an examination with her, a couple of different meetings with her to assess whether or not she is suitable to be kept there, to be yeah. to, to be detained there. Um over a long period of time. I mean, the the forensic psychologist, sorry, the forensic psychiatrist, uh, Dr. Roman Mullaney, he had carried out the report and he'd carried out, you know, his name comes up again and again in, in various different um, cases where there's a not guilty by reason of insanity plea where he will um, assess the patient. Um, during the examination, you know, he got up on... on um, 
he got up and he gave his evidence to the to the judge um during which he said that he was his opinion that she was suffering from mental health issues you know he had talked about how when she initially entered the facility she was very agreeable agreeable and compliant with the treatment um and she engaged really well with them um, but unfortunately, she, you know, there was incidents that happened where she became highly distressed. She was making threats to nurse, nurses, um, which they managed by putting her into seclusion. So, you know, by herself, um, she'd been taken in and, and out of it again. Um, but, you know, they said that she had a lot of disorganized thoughts. She still was being verbal and physical with the nurses. So they put her back into seclusion. Again, she was having more auditory hallucinations. Um, so there was... He said that there was a significant change in her from when she was first entered in to, to up till then. Uh, he agreed that she does meet the criteria for presenting with a mental health disorder and recommend that she stay in the hospital um, for a further period to, you know, and during that time, obviously, like we said, she'll participate in various programs, engage in therapy and whether she needs medication or whatever, obviously they, they, they will decide that. Um, and the judge agreed with this and she has been remanded there. Now she will be treated there in accordance with the Mental Health Act and she will then, I think it's every six months, they will review her review her to see if she's yeah. eligible for release yet. I think she, what they're describing there in terms of the disorganised thoughts is that, you know, you can have people that suffer from various psychiatric conditions but they can still, some of the people that suffer from schizophrenia, the thoughts just don't link up, mm-hmm. you know. Um, they, you know, they're really, they're, they're, their experience of life at that moment in that state of psychosis is vastly different from what is actually going on or how we would normally perceive it. Um, you know, it's a very complicated area, I suppose, and, and um, you know, mental ill health and the links to to crime has sometimes been, um, certainly when we talk about conditions like like, like bipolar, like schizophrenia, like, bi- uh, like bipolar affective disorder, mm-hmm. you know, we're not drawing a link between those and, and criminal or violent acts. However, at times, you know, there are cases where, where that can happen. I mean, the vast majority of people who suffer from any of those conditions, um, violence is, is not a common or even a usual feature, mm-hmm. I think that's fair to say. Absolutely, yeah. And even at that as well, it's you know, you'd see various different killers that go in and out of the prison system yeah. who don't have these things either. No, of course. And, you know, it's not, it's the link between violence and those conditions is shown not to be accurate. And of course, people, you know, there's a range of reasons why people commit violence. But I suppose all of these cases do kind of highlight the need for proper mental health services. I think the Christina Amberson one is, you know, the fact that somebody reached out for help um, and they didn't get the help that they needed. It is worrying, isn't it? Absolutely. Yeah, it is. I mean, and we we see it all the time. There's money not being spent on the services and there's cuts and there's, you know, not enough beds available for people and everything like that. And I think as well, you know, as you know yourself from, you know, the drug crime that you cover and all, a lot of it at the time, it's prevention. It's it's getting people into different services before they even reach Absolutely. that level. People that are, you know, low-level criminal, involved in low-level criminality, if they could be treated as, as people that are unwell, um, it would be a much better thing. Okay, well, thanks, Claude, and we might come back to the Christine Anderson when it gets to the sentencing room. Thank you. Thank you. You've been listening to Crime World, a podcast from sundayworld.com, produced by Ian Mullaney and edited by me, Nicola Talent. Research assistant is Claude Amini. 
If you like this show and love true crime, leave us a review. Or why not download the free sundayworld.com app for lots more stories from Ireland and across the globe. Would you like to be able to start conversations like a pro? Take the Sunday World, your daily dose of what's going on. Do not consume the Sunday World if you're involved in a drug cartel, you're a politician with something to hide, or you've appeared on a reality TV show and care about others' opinions. Consume the Sunday World responsibly. Always read the stories, gossip, and commentary.